Welcome back to Hindsight is 2019, the podcast where we look at 250 years of Dartmouth history through 25 objects from the library's archival collections, one per decade. I'm Julia Logan. I'll be your host for this episode. The Sex Issue Taking the Reins, Women in Leadership Empowerment Sounding our barbaric yawp Interactions A Look Inside Public and Private Lives These are just a few of the issue titles from Spare Rib, a student-run publication which first hit the proverbial newsstands in the spring of 1992. Claire Eunice, class of 1995, and the second editor-in-chief of the 90s feminist newspaper, characterizes Spare Rib as the love child of Molly Finney, 92, and a devoted staff of Dartmouth women and men. Molly envisioned a publication that would encourage and improve communication between the sexes while recognizing and celebrating the diverse talents of Dartmouth women, offer a forum for their different politics, different social priorities and ideals, and altogether different methods of expressions. Printed termly in newspaper form, a little larger than the size of the Dartmouth printed today, the publication offers its readers a little bit of everything. Interviews, editorials, features on arts, sports, and local and global stories, creative submissions of poetry and fiction, and regularly occurring gossip column called Spare Ribbings, which was self-acknowledged among the editors as the most controversial part of the paper, but more on that later. Each issue focuses on a favorite theme. The premier's issue theme communication. The front page reads in bold black typescript, dart speech, how well do we communicate? The issue opens with a profile piece on four seniors who were asked to talk candidly about their perceptions of relationships at Dartmouth. Articles cover gender dynamics in the classroom, then Dean of the College Lee Pelton's new plan to educate Dartmouth men against sexual assault, and a piece written by Sarah Pettis titled, Jock Bitch Sessions, Jock in parentheses. Pettis begins her article with a personal reflection. Four years of college sports has left me both blessed and bitter, exuberant and livid. I've seen some great things happening in women's sports, but I've also been frustrated by the stagnancy of long overdue changes that would really propel us forward. The gossip column Spare Ribbings, as I mentioned earlier, is in the style of a scene and heard, printing quotes that were overheard on campus, followed by the location, date, and time of the interchange. These quotes are not humorous nor do they highlight positive interactions on campus. They are offensive and problematic. Eunice writes the following about spare ribbings. In fairness, this is our one weak point in newspaper ethics, but one which we've accepted for the sake of retaining them. Sexist remarks, no matter how offhanded, are not harmless. Even in context, a spare ribbing is offensive and or misguided. Exposing these quotes at least raises awareness that not everyone appreciates or dismisses them. Editors require context, time, place, and date of every quote they receive, and names are omitted due to problems with accuracy. The editors are forthright with their acknowledgement of the potential inaccuracy of overheard quotes and their reasoning of why they choose to solicit and publish them. If there is any doubt of the temporal and physical content, it is advised to leave the quote out. As I read through the Ribbings column almost 30 years later, taking in every word with a grain of salt, they are still jarring and problematic. Perhaps the most difficult realization is that these hurtful words were being said by students to students. I'm not going to read them aloud, but rather reiterate what the editors said themselves. They're sexist and alarming. Even with factoring in inaccuracies, for me, they still serve as a glimpse into the campus climate of the 1990s. 
If you'd like to see for yourself, all issues of Sparib are available in Rauner Special Collections Library. The paper covers heavy topics of sexual assault, harassment, gender inequality, and discrimination. But the publication's staff, known internally as Rivers, also try to bring a sense of humor to the publication. Just one example of where this is evidenced is in the staff list printed inside the issue. For example, Molly Finney, Editor-in-Chief, after her name printed in italics is Fallen Woman, woman being spelled W-O-M-B-Y-N. August Goldman, publisher, representing the male minority on the staff, is referred to as Patriarch. Andrea Greer, Allison Burrell, they are the ladies of the night, the copy editresses. Finney, Eunice, and the rest of the Rivers considered Spare Rib, and I quote, to be a manifestation of all that women of Dartmouth have accomplished in the last 20 years, the challenges that face us now, and the victories we hope to gain in the coming years. The statement of purpose found on page three of the first issue reads, The dialogue here involves both men and women, for it will only be when we can come together to recognize the distinct talents of Dartmouth women as well as root out the conflicts that still lurk, that we can all share the community comfortably. The mythical Eve discovered and revered knowledge, and Spare Rib appreciates that small step of the first woman to educate herself and make space for herself in a world of men. Spare Rib will recognize the achievements of women across the spectrum. There is room here for creative works and investigative pieces, for art and sports stories, as well as news, for humor and seriousness. We are multifaceted and multi-talented, and to bring all of our talents together can only help us celebrate our difference and unite our strengths. Spare Rib wasn't the only feminist publication of the 90s, nor was it the first. Women's Rights, a literary collection, started in 1985. Women's Review, women being spelled W-O-M-Y-N, also started in the late 80s. The publication intended to create a space for feminist thought and to break women's historical silence. It was a rejection of the conventional spellings which refer to women as a subset of men. It welcomed stories, articles, and poems written by not only Dartmouth women, but women around the Upper Valley. And then there was Inner Bitch, a zine which presented a more radical take on women's and gender issues than its contemporary spare rib. Here's a little teaser in form of Inner Bitch's statement of purpose. Deep within you, beneath the strained smiles, the cordiality, the good grades, the conceding laughter, you have an inner bitch. Well, this whole rag is in honor of that inner bitch. We want to help her grow and become as strong and as bitchy as womanly possible. We want to give her the power to speak her mind because silence is a kind of death. It keeps a part of you dormant, like a leg that's permanently fallen asleep. And it makes it easier for the next woman to get her, and the next, and the next. But let's get back to Spare Rib. The birth of the publication coincided with the 20th anniversary of co-education at Dartmouth. The second issue, 20 Years of Co-Education, Many Sighs, Many Cheers, pays homage to the women that came before them, revisits the early years of women on campus, and evaluates the college's position 20 years later. Featured in the issue is an article reporting on the 1975 Hums contest in the student production, You Laugh. You might remember the contest and the performance from our 1970s episode, Daughters of Dartmouth. 
Hosts Laura Barrett and Peter Creaney tell the story of coeducation and the physical and verbal attacks that the early women of Dartmouth experienced. Their story highlights the united actions of seven women who stood up and resisted their treatment, approaching it with humor and anger. As Creaney states, the most powerful aspect of their performance is the way the women use their harassers' own words to make their point. Twenty years later, women continue to bring awareness to their treatment, to their experience, to their needs and voices, with humor and anger, just as their foremothers did. We see this within the pages of Spare Ribbon and Her Bitch. We see this from the simple fact that these publications existed. It is important to note that during this time period, there were other publications, like In Your Face, which brought awareness to the LGBTQI plus community, as well as Uncommon Threads, which was a publication focusing on anti-racist, anti-homophobic, anti-sexist, and anti-classist rhetoric. In the 90s, President Friedman was moving Dartmouth out of a conservative decade and towards a more progressive future. But issues like racism, anti-Semitism, and homophobia that the institution had been dealing with for decades, and in some cases since its establishment, were still present. close to 30 years after Molly Finney's Love Child made its debut, we're still talking about it. While the issues reported on by the Rivers remain cogent on campus, there has been change. Over the course of the fall term, I had the opportunity to work with Giovanna Manafo's Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies class, hashtag Me Too, Intersectionality, hashtag Activism, and Our Lives. The students worked closely with archival material throughout the term and integrated the materials into their class projects. I was pleased to see how shocked they were to discover how women were treated at Dartmouth, both as students and faculty members, in the years leading up to coeducation and as recently as the early 2000s. Their reactions indicate that the experience of women on campus today has come a long way from the many sighs and many cheers. Hindsight is 2019 is a production of the Dartmouth College Library and is produced as part of the celebration of Dartmouth's 250th anniversary, highlighting selected objects from Rauner Special Collections Library. This episode was written, directed, and engineered by Julia Logan and produced by Peter Carini. Additional sound engineering by Joshua Shaw. A special thanks to our voice actors, Caitlin Birch and Miranda Fuentes. Thank you for listening. We hope you continue to enjoy Hindsight is 2019. Hey podcast listeners, it's me again. The following songs were used in this episode. Gina by Blue Dot Sessions, Surfing Day by Marcos Balanos, and Deluge by Cellophane Sam. All songs were sourced from the Free Music Archive.